past weekend, as we do on all of our men's retreat, which really sounds like a boy's retreat when I talk about it, um, but as part of our little ritual, we go off to Fun Spot. I know, like big men. Um, and it was funny, as, as, and Fun Spot is, do you know, it is the biggest amusement gaming arcade in the world. That's why we go. I mean, it's, it's not about the games. Um, but as we were there, I was, I was walking around, and they had, this, they had this picture of a guy that was framed and, and his story underneath. And he was uh, the guy who was, at one time anyways, from New Hampshire. He was the world's Donkey Kong champion. Now, <clears throat> and I don't mean to be disrespectful in any way when I say this. So please, just, just get my heart. It's, it's not about him. But right away, as, as I was kind of looking at the plaque and really didn't get a chance to look at the picture, I already had an image of my, in my mind of what the world's Donkey Kong champion looked like. And he looked like it. Uh, 20, latter 20s, pot mock face, hair kind of sticking up, wired rim glasses kind of bent off of, uh, off of his face. And, 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 and I know I, I should put away my judgmentalism, but he looked like I thought he would look. He kind of looked like a geek. Um, now, for those of you who play Donkey Kong, that, that is no disparagement on you, your whole tribe. God bless you all. Um, but it just, it's what I thought he would look like. It's what he looked like. But then I was reminded what we look like when people use the word Christian. They think weird. You know, if, if, if they were, in most people's minds, to put up a picture of the world champion Christians, we would look like probably Donkey Kong champions. We would look weird. We said last week that that weird didn't have to be a bad thing. That in one sense, there's two definitions of weird. There's the weird definition that you could even use with God because literally it means to be supernatural. It, it means to, to inspire awe because of being so wholly different. And then there's weird, like obnoxious weird, Weird like don't fit in weird. Weird like nobody wants you around weird. And oftentimes when you tell somebody you're a, a Christian, you know the look that many people get in their face. They, on their face, they're thinking weird in the second way. They're thinking crazy people. They're thinking ignorant people. They're thinking people who are just out of touch. You wouldn't want to invite to a dinner party because you don't know whether they would use a souvenir weird. You're thinking weird in the sense of, of people who are just gleefully waiting for the end of the world and joyfully waiting not only for the world to end but for judgment to begin so that all the weird people could take over. 
When, when the world looks at us and they think weird, they think the kind of people that say mean and nasty things, the kind of people who are judgmental, the kind of people who are narrow, people who think they know it all and know nothing, and people that you really wouldn't want anything to do with. This morning, as we continue our series on living as a Christian without looking weird, I want to remind you that even though in the best sense of the word weird, our goal and our objective is not to be weird in the worst sense of the world. Because the truth of the matter is this. Christians are a gift and a blessing to the world. They are. They are when they live as people who are not of the world, even though they are in the world, because they're looking and seeking to serve the world for the God who loves the world. When we live and act like that, we are a blessing. As I was saying to the men this week, when we live with a sense of duty, of understanding, that if you call yourself a Christian, automatically you live with responsibility that you can't shirk, that you can't walk away from, that you live with this responsibility in part to, to listen and, and to to study the scriptures. You live with the duty and responsibility of avoiding sin and of rejoicing in good deeds. You live with the responsibility to be charitable, to give more than you take. In fact, to give even when the people you're giving to don't want anything to do with you. The responsibility to live in charity and to live in purity to live in purity in the sense of putting away lesser sinful evil things that just trip us up and keep us walking blind but moreover to walk in the purity of pursuing the holiness of God knowing that purity isn't a negative thing purity is a positive thing because in it you get taken up beyond this world and you get to experience the overflow of God's grace and God's love. Because we only minister from the overflow, not from the undertow. You see, when, when we live like that, we are a blessing. I mean, think about how blessed this world has been by Christians. Uh, people like John Wesley, people like C.S. Lewis, people like Billy Graham or, or uh, Jim Elliott, Uh, People like Chuck um, Colson, great minds, great energy, great productivity. People who went on to found places like Harvard and Yale and Princeton. People who built grand hospitals with, with the desire to care for people. You know, when you look at every, almost every caring Um, organization or profession in this world, it was started 
by Christians. I don't care if it was in the medical field or in the counseling field, the social work field, whether it was in a hospice. It was Christians who started those organizations. AA, it was Christians being what God called them to be a blessing to the world. Weird in the best sense of the word. That's what God wants for us, to be weird in the best sense of the word. This morning, as as we continue our series on how to live Christian without looking weird, I want to share with you a tip, a premise, a principle that we're going to work on. And, And it's simply this. It's called being for it. How do you live in this world as a Christian without looking weird? Simply by being for it or approaching the world and approaching life with the desire to be for it. Now, that sounds weird, doesn't it? Uh, What the heck does that mean? Be for it. Be what? I mean, if we're, if we're trying not to be weird, then me giving you instructions to just go forth and be for it doesn't help you, does it? Not much. That's right. But let me see if I can clarify. Because we have to, I mean, be for it. What is it? We're going to look at two passages this morning. One is descriptive. And the other is illustrative. The first one comes from John chapter 10. We're going to put that up on the board. In John chapter 10, Jesus is talking to a Pharisee as well as his disciples. And he's basically telling them in this passage that no one comes to the Father except through the Son. And that anyone who tries to claim heaven as their home without coming through the sun is just, a, is just a thief and a robber and a liar. So Jesus says this, Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. Verse 9, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So be for it. What is it? It is life. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life. Can you back it up one? that they may have life and have it to the full. What are we supposed to be for? We are supposed to be for life. We are to be for it if we are ever going to have it. And part of the problem is sometimes when it comes 
to living as Christians, we're not as much for life as we really think we are. In fact, sometimes we're not for it at all, and that's why we don't have it. And that's why when the world looks at us trying to be Christians without having the kind of life Jesus was talking about, the life that is abundant, which means a life that is not only eternal, but it is a life that is full now if you choose it. And see, I believe we look weird to the world when they look at us and they say, there doesn't seem to be much life in these people. These people don't seem to, to have that, that special something that should come with people who, who live for God. This morning, I want to talk about be for it so you have it. Because if you're not for it, you won't have it. I want to take you to the second passage we're going to look at and spend some time in. It's John chapter 12. This is a, a, a great passage. It's a great story. We begin it, we're told, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in his honor. So what's going on? Martha and Mary are giving a dinner in Jesus' honor because he had raised Lazarus from the dead. And Mark tells us that it's at the home of, of Simon the leper who, leper who God healed. And Matthew tells us that. Mark tells us, no, let me get Mark says that it's Matthew who tells us that all of the disciples are there. So when you think about it, you've got about a, a dinner party of 17 people who are gathered together. And they are gathered together celebrating. Celebrating life. Celebrating the abundance of it, the richness of it. Celebrating second chances. Celebrating the stories of life around the table. Can you imagine what it would have been like to sit at that table? To sit at the table with Jesus and to sit at the table um, with Lazarus and to sit at the table with Simon and the disciples, and I'm sure they almost had just listened to Lazarus as he talked about being dead and being with God and seeing probably incredible things, Moses and Abraham, and, and just sharing what it was like to all of a sudden have God bring him back, resuscitate him to life. What it was like for Simon to talk about what it meant to be a leper, what it meant to just be an outcast and put away as, as somebody who is not human and normal and weird that nobody wanted to talk to or touch. And all of a sudden, you're made whole again. Things that fell off reappear. And there is, there is blood just pumping through all of your limbs and all of your organs and now you see like you've never seen you hear like you never have heard before and you stand and walk and run like never before can you just imagine being at that table and Jesus can you imagine 
what he looked like. He must have just been sitting there and just smiling as he heard these stories of life. The kind of life that he came to bring in abundance. And the 12 talking about all the stories and the miracles performed through Jesus by the love of the Father. Can you imagine what it must have been like to sit at that table? Talk about being for it. Talk about having it. These were people who who sat at a table like uh, no other table has been sat at through history, just, just soaking in the life. What's life? Life is growth. It's maturity. It's it's activity. It's productivity. Life is is living up to your potential. It is developing and becoming competent and knowledgeable and new again. These people, when it came to life, they were for it. Christians sometimes are people who are not viewed as people who are for life. We're just people who walk around with no on our face. And you can't do that. And what are you doing that for? We're people who are, who are viewed as being judgmental and suspicious of other people and their motives and their activities and their deals. We're viewed as people when it comes to being for it and having it as just losers, as weird. And yet that's not the case. God's people have always been called to be people who are people who could say, just be for it. Be for whatever is good. Be for whatever produces life that brings joy. Look what we read. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. Now, we know about Mary and Martha. We we, we know the story about the dinner party where where Mary was working hard and and Martha was helping out, but then at one point she just stopped and sat at Jesus' feet and listened. And how Mary said, hey, Jesus, you want to tell her to get up and help me? And Jesus basically said, look, Martha, Mary, Martha desires the better things of life. She gets it. She's for it. Well, now all of a sudden at at this dinner in honor of Jesus, Mary's got it. She is for it. It's, it's not her house, it's Martha's house. And I don't think it was payback. But she realizes, you know what? This time I don't want to miss it. This time I don't want to think about what I should do and what people expect me to do. I don't want to worry about whether, 
whether I'm going to cross some boundary or people will look at me and, and start making judgments and thinking, boy, doesn't she want to just look good? In front? I, don't want, I don't want to care about that stuff. I just want to be for it. I just want to go after it. And she remembered uh, the story of the prostitute who, who came to a meal that was being held by a Pharisee in order to judge Jesus and figure out what his deal was and, and how that woman showed up at the meal and, and she, she washed Jesus' feet with her tears and, and wiped his feet with her hair and just worshipped him. And on that story, I'm sure that story must have just rattled in Mary's head. She must have thought, that's what it means to live. That's what it means to be for it, to be for life, to be for what's good and beautiful. And so now's her time. And she just, she opens her heart. She brings a, a bottle of perfume that today would go for about $10,000. I don't even know where you get perfume like that. Don't tell my wife. <laughs> but she comes and she, she brings it. And it, it was perfume she was sharing, saving one day for Jesus' burial. And she pours it on his feet. And she starts washing his feet with her hair. Isn't that where the life is? Isn't life at Jesus's feet? Not caring about anything else other than his glory. Being for life doesn't mean worrying about everything. It doesn't mean being suspicious. It doesn't mean being judgmental. It doesn't mean looking at what other people are doing and personalizing it as an affront because they did it before you did it. It doesn't mean that you walk around every day wringing your hands wondering whether the economy is going to collapse, the world is going to fall apart, whether you have enough food stored in your basement or your refrigerator or whether you've got a truck to get you. the. That's not life. Life is when you put all that junk aside and you step out in boldness and you just hold on to Jesus' feet and you worship. That's life. That's real. You can only have it when when you're willing to be for it, to be for whatever it means. Look what we read. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? That sounds righteous, doesn't it? Doggone it, there are poor people around, Jesus. And, And why are you allowing this to happen? There are people who could be ministered to. This is just foolishness. It's wastefulness. You can see him just looking down his nose. It was worth a year's wages. What kind of fool wastes money like that? He did not say this because he cared about the poor. 
but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. He didn't care about the poor. Give me a break. He, he, he didn't care about life. This was a guy of death and darkness. This was a guy who, who just wanted to live in that little world, that little kingdom known as self. This was a guy who objected to anyone doing anything unless it's what he wanted, how he wanted it. This was a guy who was the treasurer and he was a thief and he's angry because he sees an act of beauty and sees it as a waste of his money, which wasn't his. I love this. Jesus says, leave her alone. It was intended that she should have saved this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Now, that's an interesting uh, statement because you've got to ask the question, didn't Jesus care about the poor? I mean, you know, I mean, Judas had a point. Even though he was corrupt, the point is still, look, the money could have gone to the poor. Why doesn't Jesus care about the poor? Jesus cared about the poor. He made the statement to Judas because he knew Judas didn't care about the poor. And so he was boxing Judas in. He was saying, look, Judas, you're going to have the poor forever. So I I know that the poor is your mission and they're really close to your heart because I know missions are close to your heart. So don't worry, you'll have the poor. We're going to leave you a, a lot of poor to take care of, Judas. And we know you don't care anyways because you don't care about life. You see, that's the deal for us right there. That's the issue for us. God has called us to be for it because unless we're willing to be for it, we're never going to have it. Unless you're willing to look at your life and look at your calendar and say, what can I do with these days for God? I mean, what can I do that will just smack of life. What wild and, and bizarre thing, creative thing can I do to just move cl- closer to God and have life and not worry about others saying, you know, that's just stupid. That's a dumb idea. You're going to go broke doing that. How much do you make? And that's what you give to your church? You can't do that. One year, I was, uh, one year, three years, I was being audited by the IRS. Um, no good deed ever goes unpunished. Because um, I had given, I had paid out a large sum of money because I had taken money from an IRA when I was working on my house and having all the problems. And so I owed them like $27,000. And so on April 15th, man, I I pulled money everywhere and I scraped it together and I paid them because I did not want to owe the IRS. They're not for life. And and I figured they'll get their money. They'll say, he's a good boy. 
They don't think like that. They got their money and they said, hmm, he didn't give us 27000 last year. He must be a crook. So for three years, I got audited. And one of those years, they said to me, you gave too much money to your church. You can't do that. Well, my accountant said, that's ridiculous. Of course you can do that. And they said, no, we're, we're not going to allow it. And so she finally pushed and they said, well, you're going to have to prove you gave that money to the church because you, you don't do that. That's stupid. I mean, literally, that was their take on it. You must be a crook because crook, smart people don't do that. So either you're a crook or you're just weird and stupid. Because people who are willing to be for it who are willing to be for life, who are willing to want to see something good happen, you're going to look weird. But it's the best sense of weird. For people who are willing to pour their time into other people, for people who are willing to pour their time into their church, because they believe that something great is going to happen when I partner with God, and so I'm just going to be for it, man. Something great's going to happen. But to have it, you have to be for it. And you can't worry about whether you'll lose. You, you can't worry about what people will think. You can't worry about how you'll look Because you want to know what? When you're willing to be for it in that way, you'll have life and you'll have it abundant. And you'll be weird to the world in just the right way. You'll be weird to the point of being attractive. I was listening to a message by Rick Warren this week that was a really great message. I had the radio on. And he said this thing that I loved. He said... When you look good to the world in the best sense, when you look good, if they like the way you look, they'll be willing to listen to what you say. When they like the way you look, they'll be willing to listen to what you say. And what you say will be the bridge that Jesus will walk from to your life to their life. But you've got to be weird in the best way to make that happen. You have to be willing to look good to God because that means engaging people in love and good deeds. That means rejoicing in the joy of your salvation that others might have life and have it abundant. That means willing to go and just be for life, celebrating it wherever you see it and connecting to the author of it. How do you live a Christian without looking weird? Be for it. Be for it. And if you do, you'll have it. And if you don't, you won't. And if you don't and you call yourself a Christian, you'll look weird. You'll sound weird it won't make sense to anybody how do we practically do it one 
You want to be for it? Pursue, pursue joy. Pursue joy. It's hard to find joy in this world, isn't it? I mean, real joy, the kind of joy that makes you feel inspired and complete and hopeful and unstoppable and willing to give and be everything. You can't get that kind of joy in this world. But if you pursue the joy of your salvation, if you pursue the God who gave you salvation, who said to you, I know you're a wretch. I know you in the darkest things of your mind. I know the awful things you've said and did. And I love you anyways. I call you my child anyways. That's joy. Pursuing the joy that comes in forgiveness. Man, that's, that's powerful. I did something about a year or so ago, not proud of, it wasn't anything immoral, but just shouldn't have done it. It was a stupid thing. And I had to go and apologize to the person. And in fact, I had to apologize to two people. And I just said, you know what? You're, just, you're going to go to them, you're going to apologize, and you're going to take whatever you got coming to you. And so I did. And both of them pretty much said this. Well, yeah, no, no big deal. Here's what we'll do, and you're good. And I was waiting for my beating. And I walked away thinking to myself, God, when people forgive us, they make it so easy for us to just keep on going without missing a step. When they could grind us into the ground and say, look, this is just, this is just consequences. But when they're not willing to define us by one stupid action, but love us and restore us, man, that is, that's, that's being for it. That's being for life. Because you're not caught up in death. You're not caught up in trying to make people pay for what they've done wrong. You just want to see them continue to live the life that God has given. That's joy. When you receive it and when you give it. You want to be for it? You want to be for life in this life? Then pursue Joy that's otherworldly, the joy of giving to someone who needs and watching their needs being filled. It doesn't happen often, not because there aren't needs, it's just we're so self-centered. Everybody should go on a missions trip, everybody, because then you begin to really realize where your money really matters. You begin to really find out that money can help bring about joy if it's used for God's purposes.
You want to be for it? You want to be for life? Pursue joy. Second, ponder creativity. Stop worrying about what everybody's going to say. Stop worrying about people saying to you, I'm not sure you can do that. That that might be sin. That sounds unbiblical. I don't think you can worship God raising your hand. I'm not talking about sinning here, okay? Let me make that perfectly clear, and I think you know me well enough. But too often, Christians just live these narrow little lives that allows them to feel compelled not to do anything. Well, I wouldn't want to step out of line, wouldn't want to do anything wrong, so better to do nothing. Luther, Augustine, we're not exactly sure who gave the quote, but one of them said this, love God and sin boldly. I love that. Basically, the idea is this. Look, if you love God, just go out and do something that he wants you to do And even if you screw it up, even if it becomes sin, don't worry about it. God will fix it. Because God works all things to the good of those who love him or call according to his purposes. So just be for it. Whatever it is that you feel God calling you to do, be creative. The church needs creative people. We need creative people. People who are willing to think outside the box and say, you know, I bet we could reach people this way. I bet we could love people this way because they're not worried about what anybody thinks. They're not worried about humbling themselves and putting themselves on a limb and maybe not having it work out and feeling humiliated. They don't care. They're just willing to be creative. What I've learned in life is this. Just show up. Something good will happen. Just show up. Something good will happen. I guarantee it. Just show up with the desire for something good. And you know what will happen? Life. Like it wouldn't have happened if you hadn't shown up. Think of all the things we don't show up for. And we miss life. I spent almost three days on a retreat Got up this morning and you know rushed here. In one sense, you could think, "Oh, aren't you churched out?" No, wasn't looking at it that way. Numerous times this weekend, as I talked to guys, tears came to my eye. As I'm getting older, I'm becoming a crybaby. I don't know what's going on, but anyway. it, it doesn't take much. I hope it's because I'm beginning to appreciate life more and more. And it just bowls me over. And so leaving there and to come here is just more life. With people who I hope just, they want to be for it. The whole deal, they want to be for it. They want to say, sign me up. Because I want to live. And I want to grow I want to be and I I want to know what it means to be alive in Christ. Ponder creativity number three. Promote positivity. 
promote positivity. That means encourage people when you see them doing something that's good. I don't care whether necessarily it's Christian or not. If it's good, it's good. It's from God. If you see somebody doing something and you look at somebody caring for somebody, go encourage them because that's from God's heart whether they get it or not. When you see somebody doing something good in the church, somebody starting a Bible study, go to them and encourage them. And encourage them not only in words, but say, you know what? I can see you're trying to bring about life. I'm for it. I'm there. Because I want to be wherever life is taking place. Because it doesn't take place sitting in front of your TV. Man, that is just death. That is a sucker's bet every time. Lastly, prize productivity. What are you producing? What impact are you making? Life's passing you by. If you haven't heard the announcement, I'll give it to you again. This is not a dress rehearsal. This time is going to pass you by. And I guarantee you, one day, when you realize more life has gone by than stands in front of you, there will be regret and there will be tears. We're told that one day when we're in heaven, God will wipe away all the tears. Where will they come from? I'm not sure, but I think a lot of it's going to be over missed opportunities. Don't waste your lives. Produce something. I love being around productive people who are doing productive things for God's kingdom, not their own. I love people who are, who are willing to do bold, brash things for God. That's weird in all the best ways. Do something, produce something, have an impact. Don't let it be said about you that life went by and you touched no one. No one came to Christ because of you. No one even showed up at your church because of you. You're afraid? Start small. Do something, but do something. Because if you're pursuing productivity, you're not going to be pursuing impurity. You won't have time. Productivity doesn't allow for it. There's a story of a new CEO who was taking over a company and, um, and he wanted to make an impact. He wanted to let them know who was boss and he wanted to show them that he wasn't going to put up with Deadwood. And so one day he showed up to where the employees were in the warehouse and he saw this guy, one guy just kind of leaning against the wall. And he looked at him and he walked up to him and he said, um, how much money do you make a week? The guy looked at him and said, I don't, I don't know, 200 bucks. He said, here's 200 bucks. You're fired. Don't ever come back here. And he thought to himself, made my point. And he said to the others, do any of you know 
what this man was doing here? And one guy said, well, he was a pizza delivery man. He was just waiting for his change. Talk about looking weird. We can look weird in all the wrong ways. Or we can look weird in the best of ways. So be for it. Because if you do, you'll have it. And you'll never want anything else. Let's pray.